Okay, welcome to the Zootown Podcast, and thanks for joining the conversation today. Our hope for this podcast is to present a wide variety of topics and that it'll spark conversation. So just sit back, relax, or work out, or whatever you do when you listen to podcasts, and enjoy. So without further ado, here's the Zootown Podcast. Hey, thank you for joining the Zootown Podcast, and we have the distinct pleasure of having Father Kenneth Tanner on today. Uh, who is a priest in Michigan, but also a part of our group with Brian Zahn and Brad Jerzak, Paul Young, Baxter Kruger. He's a he's with those clowns. So we brought him on because uh, he is just so profound in his view of the incarnation, the birth of Christ, and really just not that it's just a one-time event, but it's an all-time event. So we're going to jump into this. And again, if you guys ever have any questions or thoughts, you can email us and uh, I'll do my best to get back at you. But please enjoy Father Kenneth Tanner. We did this in the late 80s and early 90s. Took a basically a prophetic-oriented, charismatic congregation into, um, you know, weekly Eucharist and um, sacramental uh, worship and, um, you know, just a way of reading the scriptures that was different and a priority for the poor and all this stuff. And we didn't really lose many families back then because it wasn't like there was kind of this thing, well, if this is what the pastors are telling, you know, um, right. we should do this or what happened. There have was you. no internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. And also, like, I'm people who weren't questioning in the same way. And I mean, we were in Southern California, but it was reorienting us to the tradition. Right. And so when, when this deconstruction or whatever you want to say, this thing that's happening right now started, you know, we were down the road where we had already embraced the core of what would keep like, and, and the things that fell away over the years, you know, that would have been problematic for our young people or would have been problematic for people now struggling were things that we let fall away a long time ago. And our young people weren't being inculcated in, you know, mm. in penal substitutionary tome and these, these kinds of things. Right. So we haven't seen that kind of either with ourselves or with our young people or whatever, that kind of thing, because we already had reoriented under a different set of external and internal factors, but still it's the same movement. And so um, I do think that the ancient church, um, the first Christians, um, as I like to call them, and the wisdom you know, that they hold, right. um, which, um, I, you know, I usually use instead of tradition, um, you know, cool. have, have, um, I'll say our wisdom versus our tradition and I'll, and I'll say first Christians rather than the ancient church or the ancient Christians or what have you. Um, and, uh, I, I do think that some of what we need to continue to trust the gospel um, is found among them, and we have to be willing to 
to go back and change um because a lot you know a lot of what happens is um you know people are raised with the christianity um in these various american churches and have different styles and so forth but they all seem to have some of the same ingredients which the first christians like if they were to encounter what maybe some people call Christian nationalism, or if they were to encounter penal substitutionary atonement, oh, theory, yeah, or yeah. Were to encounter, encounter really, frankly, almost everything we do in our worship, it would look like, what is this? What happened here? What, right. I, you know, I'm really surprised that it went this way. <laughs> and, and some of the things I think are just innovations of musical instruments. Like, you know, of course they didn't always have musical instruments, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, a modern set of Ludwig drums or a Fender Stratocaster or whatever. Right. Instead of a horn or a violin or, you know, an organ. Um, this is a different way of making music. But, and that would have been a shock. That would be a shock to them, just like our music would be a shock to them. But more shocking would be what we say about Jesus. The message, yeah. How we, how we, um, you know, what there's no wisdom in our declaration of the cross, you know, and um, and so no, you know, there's lack of humility, lack of priority for the poor, and we're not reading the scriptures in the way, same way that Jesus taught them, you know, he right. opened their minds to understand the text, and so those things would be, I think, the thing that would really be surprising to them. They would go, oh, okay, this is just a different way of making music than we made. But, but this other thing is very serious. Like what they're, what they're teaching is so far off, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's where I think that's, if I could nail there down. Would be, six, there, would, there would be cultural shocks, just like there'd be cultural shocks from someone going from the first to the 15th century or from the fifth century to the 19th century, you know, and so forth and so on because of technology and language and yeah dress and cuisine and all these kinds of things but but they wouldn't they'd be listening to us and they i think a lot of times they would be like even if they they could speak if they like you know came to us understanding english or we came to them understanding you know greek they would or latin they would they would not understand what we're talking about you know right this isn't right. what our witnesses told us was going on or the the experiences that we've had. And so where did we get off? And of course we can get into all, all of that, but it's. Yeah. It's, I think that's where I, that's, I think, I think we're almost on the opposite side of that too now to where now that I have, you know, I always tell people once you see it, you can't not see it. Uh, and I think that's where we're almost on the opposite end because I tell people now like, Protestantism is a completely different religion than what the early church practiced. I mean, and so, yeah. but what they're struggling with is, is I've heard this my entire life. And so often when I share the church fathers, yeah. they implement their our culture 2000 years later and our view into that rather than the other way around. And that's one of my biggest struggles is because people have put their whole life into some of these TED talks that they've heard from Protestant pastors, because that's what they are, is TED talks. Yeah. And, and I just don't, it's hard to relate to people because they think 
you know, they almost think the early church fathers were wrong. And I'm just like, man, this is a tough battle. <laughs> the, it can, you know, Scott, I mean, you know, it comes from um, different, like some people come and they hear, well, this is what the first Christians thought. And this is how um, they experienced this. And this is how they worshiped. And they think, well, you're innovating. Because what I was taught is the real Christianity, even though they're rejecting it. Right. They're like, you just made this, you know, you've made it compatible or you've made it, um, you know, um, uh, digestible or whatever by modern people or contemporary people. You've changed it or you've converted it. But this is the and they have a very hard time. You know, accepting that actually what we were raised in and what we were brought in was the change. Yes. Uh, And it's barely, it's only 500 years old. It's new. In other words, I see some people go, oh, this is good news. I I didn't realize. And then there are some who are just so wounded often. Um, I think it's the traumas. And they, they say, well, you know, you're just making, they, they, they just feel they have to reject this because it was so harmful to them and you're just trying to make it palatable. But mm. when they understand that it's really a, a vastly different thing and, um, and they're just not, in some cases, they're just not ready to hear that or see that or experience that. And I get it and I understand it. And I'm not, you know, I'm the first person that says, I'm, I'll sit with you and the pain, I'll sit with you and the confusion, I'll sit with you and the despair of, of, of all of this being, uh, you know, sort of crumbled on the ground around you. Um, uh, you know, I don't have to rush in and say, well, here's the answer. Here's the, you know, here's what's right, going to help right. you. This is the real view. Um, I, you know, you can't impose that on someone. You know, you have to, you you have to let them in their freedom, you know, come to see it and hear it for themselves. Um, but I do, I, I mean, you know, I just think we can say very clearly that there is something very deeply good and beautiful. Um, and, and um, you know, full of wisdom that took place, you know, amongst the first Christians and Jesus and, and, um, you know, that they changed the women, you know, for centuries. Um, they were a people unlike any people that, you know, have ever been on the earth since before or since. And, uh, you know, their witness and their practices and their, there's their way of being is something that we can participate in too. But it, it does involve radical, sometimes not so radical, but a lot of radical breaks with how most of us were um, brought up. Yeah. And I mean, that's a great introduction to why we brought you on this podcast, uh, because one of the things that changed me and that I realized I was wrong in, uh, I guess not wrong, I didn't know, I was ignorant, I'll put it that way was the birth of Christ, the incarnation, was a part of the gospel to the early church. Uh, and in Protestantism, in which the tradition we used to be at Zootown, you know, we celebrated it on Christmas Eve, 
and yeah. that was all good, but we didn't celebrate Advent. You know, we didn't celebrate the four weeks of Advent. And so about three years ago, we started doing that, but it has radically changed my view. It was like I was, there was one piece missing to the gospel that, and that was the incarnation. And so again, Protestantism has, has dumbed down the effects of what the birth of Christ was because it doesn't really fit with their end times view and where humanity's going. So I have watched you for years now give these beautiful, wonderful quotes and understanding of the incarnation. So I yeah. guess my first question to you, Mr. Tanner, is how is the incarnation part of the gospel? Like when we present the gospel to people, the good news, how is the birth of Christ just as important as the death of Christ and what its implications for humanity? Yeah, I, um, there's so much happening with God becoming human. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's intimately tied to the cross. Um, but we have to, um, it's not like some people tell it, which is he just takes a body because he has to take a body in order to suffer and die for us on the cross. And that's, that's almost, it's reduced to that mm-hmm. instead of, instead of seeing as all of it being a movement towards the cross. And, but just to this, in the very, very basic sense of things, what does it mean that someone who spoke everything into existence, as our wisdom teaches, the it is the Son of the Father, Son of God, the Word of God, who speaks everything that we see into existence. Right. Except for humans who are handcrafted by God. But everything else is spoken into being, right? Right. That person, by the Spirit and by the consent of a woman, comes to inhabit her womb for nine months. Solomon says, the one who cannot be contained when he talks about the temple is contained in her womb and submits to silence. The one who who gives us all language, who, um, who is the one, the word who speaks the world into existence, submits to silence and smallness and is born into the world unable to speak you know <laughs> and needs to listen to his mother like we all do and learn to to say words like you know abba and emma which is the word for mother them these are aramaic words mm-hmm. but she probably is the language she probably spoke and and he learns to speak from this young woman and his his you know stepfather um and in time you know they're teaching him the psalms and he's praying the psalms and he's singing the psalms and because this is what all you know these are the songs of israel these are the songs that they sing that they're that give them identity as a people 
and he learns the language and he learns to, to pray and he learns to sing. And in time, it's clear that the songs are about him. The songs are, you know, in fact, he inspires, you know, um, the psalmist to, to write them. And the word that he is begins to, you know, just to spill out of him, you know, so that the elders in the temple are astounded by his words, even though nobody knows who he is, you know, he's, he's hidden from his identity is hidden from them, you know, um, and, uh, and, and, and so that's a way of like, of, of getting at, like, that this is so much more, you know, that God becomes human, you know, right. then it, it makes Christmas a, a deeper mystery, you know, in the sense of, and like, and when I use the word mystery, I don't mean like, like a detective story. I mean that there is some great beauty that we behold and we can't actually put words to the whole thing because it, it's constantly getting bigger. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. stop. Um, it doesn't stop astounding us. And so our words are partial and, and have to be because we're finite creatures and we're, you know, we're stumbling to say, we're muttering to say, um, you know, what we've seen. But I think we can start by saying things like that, that help us to see that it's, that it's that the fullness of this, of the mystery began to see the fullness of the mystery by contemplating uh, things like the word becoming speechless, you know, mm. helps us to think of the vastness of God becoming little, you know, and she, you know, she, she, you know, wraps his body in, in, in like strips, you know, um, this is because he's like all children anxious leaving the womb and needs to have that kind of, you know, when my child was born, my children were born, uh, we had seven, but I remember, you know, they just so tight, you know, they put them in like almost a papoose, you know, yeah. and you, you know, like a burrito. That's, that's soothing. Right. Um, and so, so that he, you know, he's got serum on him and blood and, and he's, and he's crying. Um, even though he's not intelligible, he's communicating, you know, but we can't, we can't understand, but also like the vulnerability of this one who emerges you know, from her womb and, and she has to feed and Joseph has to listen to the angels to protect him. And if she doesn't wrap him, you know, and he, she doesn't nur um, nurse him and so forth and so on. He's now the one who created all things is vulnerable to heat and cold, vulnerable to hunger, vulnerable to thirst, vulnerable to the sword. And, and so the one who is, you know, impregnable <laughs> makes himself um you cut him he bleeds you know and um so that's that's another way you know but you know those bands are also already he's been placed in the feed trough to be because he's come down to be our bread not just to not just to not i mean 
it's it's weird to say not just to die because I mean obviously we have to say things like that in order to counter this idea that you know he's just taken because he does come to die, right? But we have you know be, but because of the way we have been oriented on this and where it's this minimalistic thing that he just takes a body you know in order to die, yeah, um, got me can, out of hell. Our pendulum, you know, so far over here, it needs to swing back towards some of the things I'm talking about. At the same time, we can't abandon that this that he really like right in the very first moments. He's wrapped in those bands that they wrap bodies in when they're buried, and then he's placed in the 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 feed trough. You know, and you know, some of the fathers have talked about the wood of that manger and how that prefigures the 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 wood of the cross um it's all there in every moment of his life but the the mystery like these different bands that are wrapped around him is complex and and uh and and multitudinous i mean you know it's it's uh there's so many things to to ponder um it's deeper and it's beautiful and so christmas which we don't really properly prepare for. And we can, I don't really want to get into this, but like just the way that like, you know, now, now before Halloween, right. Let's have Halloween. Let's have Halloween. And then, you know, let's have Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Let's do a period of preparation. And then as the ancient Christians did, as the first Christians did, as our wisdom about time, Christmas is a 12 day feast. And so what happens is we're running around you know, getting ready for this, you know, 12 hour, 24, 36 hour period where we're celebrating Christmas. But the incarnation is such a great mystery. We need 12 days, you know, to really marinate in what it means that the word becomes flesh. Um, but, you know, this period of crazy doesn't really prepare us for that. And then it's over, like people are you know, putting their Christmas trees on the curb in the 26 and stuff because it's it became about tinsel and it became about light and no, there's nothing wrong with any of that and I think people embrace all that because they're looking for something authentic. Yeah, they know. <laughs> I mean, they're rushing after that and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to. Like that's a, there's that weird thing where people you know they're fighting commercialism and I think yeah. that's important. But also all of these ways that we're bringing light in or putting lights on our houses or the buildings or or it, it is a pursuit of God, even if it's like anonymous or un, like unconscious or, you know, it, people don't know what they're looking for. But it ha the only reason that we put so much energy into it is because there is something really vital and good and absolutely like saving about God becoming human. And so in the wisdom of the church, we have Advent and we spend time so that Christmas is about worship first. As much as families are important, it's not, it's not, it's not about your family or your friends. It's about God becoming human. And Christmas is first. I I mean, I I think that's what's so brilliant about the Peanuts Christmas special is mm -hmm. just standing there and saying hey, i know what christmas is about it's about it's about work about shepherds coming to worship 
God. So Christmas is not, I mean, you know, it can become cliche because, you know, to say it's not about tinsel or lights or Christmas right. trees. Right. All these things. I'm, I don't want to, I, I go, go for it, you know, knock yourself out or whatever within reason. But, but, um, but make Christianity first about worship. You know, on Christmas, the church should be worshiping. Right. You know, and, and so people like, I, I mean, it's taken me a long time for my congregation to orient them to the idea that, that Christmas, like Christmas is first of all worship. We're going to have services at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and at 10 o'clock at night. You know, it's fourth Sunday of Advent, so that'll the morning service will be a little bit more along the Advent line. But Christmas Eve, we'll be celebrating Christmas, and you you try to turn the culture towards worship as primary, and then you know, of course, we've got you know presents and family time and right. beautiful food. The feast it's supposed to be a celebration. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also about worship, and then you also have these days within that like the Feast of the Holy Innocence that reminds you that Christmas isn't all about light, tinsels and light. There's a darkness there. Immediately there's danger. Immediately there's a homicidal maniac who's taken <laughs> upon himself, you know, this, uh, and, and so, um, I mean, not, I mean, I, I've actually in historical terms, it may have been three years or whatever, but three or four years before he shows up, but it's the same moment. You know, so the Christmas cards that have the wise men and shepherds are trying to do something. You know, it's not it's not about exactly putting it, making sure it's all in the historical order. No, there's something that happens, and the shepherds come, and the wise men come, and even if there's three years separation, there's immediately danger. Christmas yeah. is dangerous, and so we remember that, and we re- we we remember that he became flesh in order to as he says in the temple, set prisoners free um, to uh, release, you know, release captives to, um, to heal the sick, to, um, um, to save us, you know? And um, so, you know, along the way, he's, you know, raising little girls from the dead and he's, he's, um, you know, he, he's, taking people who are schizophrenic and and who have split personalities and nobody their family and nobody knows what to do and he speaks words and then all of a sudden they're clothed and then their right mind um he you know he kisses lepers he he cleanses diseases he says to the person who can't walk you're forgiven and then what is that i mean he doesn't ask to be healed he doesn't ask to be forgiven but jesus says yeah. Yeah. And then he's healed. He come, he shows up and he's doing all of these things, you know, before he gets to the cross. Before he gets to the cross, he's forgiving sins. Before he gets to the cross, he's healing the sick. Before he gets to the cross, he's raising the dead. All, and it's and it's not unconnected from that. It's it's all connected to cross resurrection. Um, but we can lose um something when we just say. Or have been told, he takes a body in order to to suffer and die, which is again true. But 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 you've you've reduced it to something that 
when you don't see this bigger, bigger picture. Um, and I think that's actually one of the things that in our culture coming out of Protestantism, um, as you know, a lot of Protestant teaching is just a get out of hell free card. I mean, that's really what it is. But yes, he came to die, but he also came to show us how to live. Yes. You know? Like, so that's where, you know, we keep waiting for the end. We keep waiting for him to destroy this place, whatever, in Protestantism. And yeah. we're missing the Beatitudes. We're missing this is the way of peace, freedom, joy, yeah. all those things. And so yeah. that's the problem with just saying he just came to die. Because yeah. then if you're just focused on that, there's a way of peace. There's a road that he said only a few find, you know, like there's a way to live. And so I think that's why the incarnation is so important because he showed us how to be born, how to live and how to die, you know? Yeah. yeah. And a hundred percent, um, you know, for me, um, I was, and maybe some of your listeners, you know, are, was raised with this idea that the, the, the world is evil. Yeah. You know, and, and by that, I mean the creation itself mm -hmm. and will be destroyed. Which is you know, Gnosticism. <laughs> I got, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, there are texts like first, you know, like first Peter, there are texts that if you're not reading them, um, you know, with some imagination, um, you know, uh, as we're supposed to. Um, you you think that he's talking about actually the world being destroyed, like the elements melt and all of this mm -hmm. kind of thing. I think all of that language in the New Testament is meant to tell us that something really startling has to happen at the at the core structure of the universe for it all to become permanent and all participate in resurrection. There is a transfiguration and transformation that has to happen to the cosmos. And that's what right. that poetry is trying to tell us. But Paul talks about us as new creations, you know, the old man. But, you know, you and I are still, you know, we're sitting here, you know, in the bodies that, you know, um, even though the cells are being replaced, the same body, you know, it's the same body. And, um uh, you know, he makes us a new creation, but that's by transfiguring and transforming what is, right? What exists. And so, the, you know, the world is created by God in the beginning, good. And humanity is said to be very good. And you, you know, there's a sense of where people all have this idea that all of that goodness has been taken away from the world and been taken away from humanity and that's not possible right it's not when god makes something god makes it good and even though it has the because we have fallen away from love the creation has been subject to bondage it's not the way that it's supposed to be in its essence it's still good and humanity as you know both the you know, Jewish wisdom and our wisdom teaches us, you know, inherently good, not inherently evil. So, because, uh, because you know, let's not talk about, we're going to talk about God becoming human. God cannot become what God hates. You know? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> God cannot become what is inherently evil. That's not, oh. you know, which is a negation, right? So, um, he does become 
only what is good. And he only, you know, and he only becomes what he loves. He makes the world in love. He loves the world that he makes. He sees Athanasius as he sees the, the creation and humanity falling back into the non-existence from which it came. This is really the the the, the issue. Is that is is that the creation and we are infected with death. We're ill with death. And we need to be rescued from that. And it and I love how Athanasius phrases. He says, God, God doesn't envy his permanence, he it, it, his existence to anyone. He wants everyone to share in the way he is. And so he becomes flesh in order to lend the creation and lend humanity his permanence, right? To gift that to us, you know? And, and I say it both ways because I, I, it's, it's, it's that complex and mysterious, but yes, he lends it to us and he gives it to us. <laughs> and um, uh, in order to lift us back, he descends in order, Athanasius says in Contragentius, you know, he descends in order to lift his creation back up into yep. the divine line. And the way I've said that is he falls until he's falling below the lowest fallen human. Oof. And and so that when that human hits bottom, whatever that is, of the abyss, he lands on the body of Jesus, lands on the body of Christ. That's the only place a human can land when they fall to the farthest point is the body of Christ. And then, you know, he he lifts us all back up into, you know, God's permanence. That's incarnation too. <laughs> you know, th this is what it means to, you know, we've gone we've gone from birth to, you know, to grave, you know. And it's it's that whole movement of God towards us to give us to to as Athanasius says to to uh, burn death from us like straw and flame, right? So to 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 eradicate death in the creation and eradicate death in the human being, in human nature, and to lift all who share human nature and all creation back into God's permanence. And so, um, you know, I don't know why why, why I headed off into that. I, I think it's because you were talking about yeah. How, um, you know, how how we were taught that the world is is evil and, and God is yeah. going to come back. And well, that was one of my actually that was perfect. My question was, what are the implications for the cosmos? Because the that as you know, the Greek it isn't just world; it's cosmos. And in the Protestant tradition, what happened was, is as I've already mentioned, it's always a get out of hell free card. And what that did, the Billy Graham preaching and all that, what that did is make everything individual and personal. And as long as Jesus was born for me, but then it created enemies. There's good guys, bad guys. There's, you know, I'm, you know, and you're just watching it in our world. But the birth of Christ, the incarnation was a cosmic event for all of humanity, all of creation. Every church father talked about that. And that's why Protestants struggle with that so much. As in Adam, all men die. As in Christ, all men live. They yeah. struggle with that because they're so pre-programmed to think, there's these two separate things going on. But the, yes. the incarnation was all of it into one source, into one being, into one life. And uh, you do such a great job of talking about that. And that's, you already answered that question. <laughs> you just answered that. The cosmic in, implications for this, yeah. that's where the mystery is. 
uh, is to, to just try to really comprehend that is impossible, that the cosmos are wrapped up in him and will, will be consummated at the end of this age. And so I think that is actually my, my third question for you is what are the implications for the age in which he was born, the age in which we live, and then the future age? Because that word age is so important. So how do you view time? And the reason I'm saying that is because most of our people are from Protestant backgrounds and they've been taught dispensationalism, you know, that this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen, you know, the temple needs to be rebuilt. They don't even know the concept of age. Um, so what, what does the incarnation have to do with this age and the next age? What's God doing in the incarnation? Hey guys, we hope you are enjoying this episode of the Zootown podcast. Um, we just want to take a moment right now to remind you that likes, shares, uh, reviews, they go a huge way as far as getting the message out further into our community, but also abroad and into other communities. So if you value this conversation and past conversations that you have heard on this podcast, we ask that you take the time to actually go and give us five stars. Don't give us four. We need all of them. And uh, leave us a review. Thanks again for being listeners to this podcast and contributors and joining the conversation. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I do think that the event, like um, Revelation talks about the throwing down of the world, is the cross. You know, hmm. Cross the throwing, the foundation of the world is the cross. So if we were going to think just contemporary in a contemporary way, you know, using you know astronomy, astrophysics, and so forth and so on, and this idea of a big bang, what it all comes from is the cross. The cross is what makes the world. The cross is what you know the, the is the big bang, hmm. and the foundation of everything. And uh, and so like that wonder there's that wonderful. Um, Contemporary icon by um, Lyuba Yatsky, who I just adore, um, the Ukrainian um, iconographer um, from the the Lviv school, um, who uh, wonderful, wonderful painters, writers, icon writers. <laughs> she has this one called World Creation, you know, and it's a, it is an icon of the word. In fact. In, in Slavic, there's the, the word, the word word is in a diamond in the center of it. And Jesus, this is a circle and the six days of creation are there. Right. And Jesus is the word, right? Speaking all things into being. And he, he has the nimbus, right? So he has the sign of his cross around his head. So it's the crucified one who makes you know, the creation. And I know that doesn't, that's not on an historical line. It doesn't make sense of, you know, um, you know, well, we've got, you know, 647 BC here and we've got 1776, right, here, right. you know, 2023 here. It doesn't make sense along, you know, history, but the gospel is apocalyptic, you know, and it's, um, there is this there it, there there is a sense that's truer than that Jesus died in 33 AD is that Jesus dies from the foundation of the world and that this right. is creates everything. And so when you think about time, and Augustine does this, right? You 
the past doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like we can't get back to, you know, you know, 40 minutes ago when we started, I mean, talking, you know, I, I can't get back to that moment. You can't get back to that moment, much less, you know, the time of Caesars, the time of the Caesars, the Roman Empire, so forth and so on. All we have of that are artifacts in time, like the Colosseum, which is not the Colosseum that was. It's the Colosseum that exists now in the world, which is, you know, crumbled and fallen around. And you can see the effects of time on it. But you don't you can't get back to that moment. It's one of the, the things that I was that I ponder, like about the Christmas story and how that's all concentrated into, you know, to one moment, this event that happens with the shepherds, this event that happens to the wise men, which, you know, if we're listening and paying careful attention, it's about a three or four year split. <clears throat> but it's something, it's all compressed. And and the writer of Revelation compresses it even more in Revelation 12, right? It's the, you know, it's the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and the stars around her head. Speaking of the incarnation, right? Right, right. Also there, there's the dragon, right? Which is why so many of our families put a little, you know, you know, Godzilla or you know, some kind <laughs> of in the, in the movie scene, right? Because of Revelation 12, which is a, a kind of, you know, you know, outside time perspective on what's happening with the birth. And, you know, immediately the dragon is seeking to take the life of the child that the woman, woman, you know, bears. And, and uh, so there's a whole nother, I mean, we can't have time to get into it, but there's a whole nother register in which that's Mary and that the woman is the church, you know, and, and all that. We won't get into that, but just about time, Augustine says, that, uh, you know, the past is gone and we have no access to it. And the future, likewise, doesn't exist, hasn't happened yet, right? Um, so where God is, is like here in the present moment, right? And, and so the cross is something that though it happened in time, it's happening to time, mm-hmm. all time. Yep. And and when I say and and just like we've been talking about the word incarnation, but Athanasius, you know, when he uses that word incarnation, he doesn't mean, you know, December twenty fifth. He doesn't mean a manger. He doesn't mean the cave or the you know with the animals and 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 all the things that we talk about the birth of Jesus. When he uses the word incarnation, he means the cross. Right. So so we have to read these guys like how do they define the term? Right. Um, So uh, anyway, um, the cross is something. The incarnation is something. God becoming flesh is something that happens to time and happens to all moments of time. And. you know, as Robert Jensen says, Christ is a helix, right? It, you know, time, um, excuse me, time is a, is a helix. And, and where, what it revolves around, like, do you, do you know the helical model of the universe? Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, briefly, like I, I know a little bit, but not much. But Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 the basic, you know, one time we believed that the earth was stationary, mm-hmm. right? And that, 
everything revolved around the earth. And then we got to the, you know, everything revolves around the sun, you know. But then we started realizing, no, that's, the earth is not static. It's revolving around the sun, but the sun isn't static either. It's hurtling through space, you know, at the edge of the Milky Way, right? It's mm -hmm. moving. And as it moves through space, the planets are this kind of in this cone, you know, it's hurtling and we're following it. And we have this, and it's all happening at incredible speed. And yeah. yet we have this illusion that you and I, you're sitting still in your living room and, and, you know, Montana, and I'm sitting still in my office here in Michigan but really we're hurtling through space, you know, at, at, at like at, at massive speeds and, um, and everything is in movement and everything is in, you know, and God is the one who's holding all of that together. The one who's lying in the manger holds the, the wood of the feed trough together, right? As he lies there as God, the one he, he doesn't stop, causing that sun 2000 years ago to be hurtling through space. He's, he's the one who's causing all that to be in that great silence and in that great weakness and in that great vulnerability. Um, and, and so it's happening to all of that. The, the, the incarnation of the word is happening to all of that in order to lend that permanence, but we only experience it or see it or know it from this moment in time you know yep. so the, the cross the incarnation matters to you and i right now and it matter as it as much as it equally matters to someone in 1987 or someone in 564 or someone someone's way back at the beginning you know right um and will mean something, speaking to something all else you said earlier, will mean something to people for 100 years from now, um, 600 years from now. I'm not one of those people. I think God is very patient. I think yeah, God's back tomorrow. <clears throat> um, you know, who knows what some, you know, Moroccan, you know, teenager is going to discover about the mystery of the universe, you know, 400 years from now. or. Mm -hmm. You know, or even if there would be a place called Morocco or whatever, but 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 that incarnation is will be <clears throat> um, will is. Let me just say this: not will be is as present to be present that that person as it is to us. And the purpose of God is to make the world permanent, not to destroy the world. And this yep. is. This is vital. And it does, as you say, it has implications, right? Because in a delusion where God is going to destroy the world, and if you're deluded in that way, you don't care. Like, you're not going to read Wendell Berry and think, how am I supposed to conserve my farm? Or how am I supposed to, you know, make sure that the people I leave behind have something that's the ground that is still producing food and and air that is breathable and, and these kind of things. Not that we can, you know, even collectively heal the world, but your orientation is going to be 
this is a good world that I've been given stewardship of and that God is going to redeem and rescue. And what yes. do I get to do in this moment as I live and as my family exists and as my community exists that is op- that is that is functioning in such a way as that that I'm I'm um, I'm participating with God, you know, in uh, healing the world and not, you know bombing it into the stone age or you know mm-hmm. um polluting it into a disaster and so forth and so on because you know we're writing checks that we don't have to pay because we're all going to be you know raptured out of here and bullshit <laughs> yeah. yeah so um you know that's actually that's actually my view of the end times now is i don't i since i believe he's redeeming all things i believe all of humanity is going upward yeah and it's always being reborn and at some point going to? to Christ and to the, so I believe that I think all, that. all of humanity will gain the Christ consciousness. Eventually it could be 10,000 years from now. From? <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you say that again? You cut out a little bit. Where is that throne? Where is Christ? In me. Where is he drawing all men to himself? The cross. The cross. He's drawing all men to the cross. So here's here's something wild for you to put in your pipe and smoke. Here's what I this is Mr. Mike. It's a speculation, um, but I think the end of the world comes when all the humans who are aware of their vocation as image bearers, as Christ, um, decide to not take up their weapons against the last evil whatever that is and however it it makes its nothingness present in the world um decide not to combat and to collectively um die uh, instead of taking up arms for the life of the world and um and it's through that event that humanity together as like joins the sacrifice of god hmm. and and we become you know uh we're married to god in that way is there a group of humans at the end of the world who decide to be like the first christians again and um and die that the world might live to be martyred with god and that that would be a collective thing, but that would be participating in the cross. So it's not just human activity or right. human, but but participation in the sacrifice of God for the life of the world. And that, that would be the moment that God says, you know, and yep. you know, the son even says the father's the only one who knows, you know, who when this is. And yet we've, you know, felled whole forces writing books about him coming back in 1984. Yeah. <laughs> the blood moons or whatever it's something i think it has to be something closer to that than this idea it's definitely not this idea that everybody who knows jesus is taken out of the world and then all hell <laughs> because all hell has been breaking loose like the great tribulation for a jew in russia or in germany or france or in the netherlands was uh you know 
uh, in the 18th, if Russia, you know, 19th, 20th century was, you know, the Holocaust and so forth and so on. The Great Tribulation happens to every human being in their process of dying. Um, and, um, and God is arriving all the time. Mm-hmm. He arrives in bread and wine on the table, um, you know, at Zoo Church. I think that's what you, you guys call it, right? Zoo Town, yeah. Yeah, Zoo Town. <laughs> you know, at all of the churches, you know, in the world, all the tables of the, you know, he's he's showing up. He's showing up and we're talking about Advent, so let's talk about the coming of Jesus. You know, we're in Advent right now. The coming, he shows up in the poor. He shows up in the prisoner. Um, he showed up in my life about a half an hour ago when I was, or an hour ago when I was supposed to be editing a chapter of my book and a sheriff detective called me and said, do you know where this guy is? And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, this is the last time I heard from him. What's going on? And then I hear that, you know, he's in trouble again. And, and I start thinking about him and wondering about him. And Jesus tells me, even though I'm not supposed to be aware of it in the story Jesus tells, but, 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 you know, I, that's Jesus showing up in my life he's coming again right there on the tables of the world in the eucharist in this conversation where two or three or more are gathered in his name he's showing up uh in the hungry in the refugee in the um in the naked um and of course you know i mean people aren't just showing up you know on the street you know without clothes on i mean that's naked of of trust naked of of um hope naked of um of uh, courage you know um he's showing up on all of these people you know and uh, and yes at the end of time the one who was born and laid in the feed trough the one who knelt with the woman who was naked and the people were going to stone him the one who um who raises children from the dead the one who calls children to come to him the one who invites tax collectors to eat with him the one who takes the lash and doesn't you know dole it out the one who is who doesn't take up the sword but is pierced the one who doesn't kill but is killed right uh by us um that same one is going to show up not as the greatest killer that we've ever you know encountered in the history of the world as the one who destroys but the same because god doesn't change the same one who's revealed in these stories of the gospel as the one who releases prisoners and opens the eyes of the blind and causes the lame to walk and pronounces forgiveness on people who aren't even asking for it so that they can walk and who says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Not as a, you know, don't go, stop doing what I don't like, but Here's, I'm giving you by my words, the capacity not to go looking for love in all the wrong places anymore. Right. It's yours as a gift. That same one is showing up on our altars, in the poor, in the homeless, in the refugee, and at the end of time to bring a fitting end, a person is going to show up. And he's going to put a bow on history and make all things permanent and um and he is a great fire that is going to burn out of us and out of the world anything that's not a participation in love 
And I don't know what that looks like or how that works or whatever, but I trust it. And I need it just like you do. We all need that fire of love, but we can trust fall into it. We don't have to, because it's the same one, you know, who's going to show up and, you know, judge us at the end and take the weeds out of every person and leave only the wheat. Yep. And, um, you know, the, the, which are intertwined in all of us, you know, are, you know, our all all of our virtues are tainted with vice, right. even pride. Even some of our vices somehow mysteriously participate in the good. And only this human, who's laid in the feed trough and crucified for us, is the only one. That's why he says, "Don't judge." You know, he's the only one qualified to do the surgery that removes the work at the gardener who can take all of the weeds out and leave our person that he intended from the beginning of the world intact. Oh. You know, yeah. did you really want to talk about the coming? <laughs> I mean, you know, no. I just, somebody That's you know, amazing. asked me a question and I just don't know how to stop talking. I'm sorry. No, dude, that was perfect. And I want to be careful of your time. I, I said just an hour. Um, so let me just, I want to close with this. That was really profound oh, yeah. and deep, exactly everything. Um, one of the things that you talked about was mystery. That's one thing I've been talking about is mystery. But I can yes. tell you one of the problems that, um, and I, I understand, like this is a lot of people who talk about mystery online and stuff, it, it usually ends up meaning God doesn't care who I screw, what I do to my body, you know, and it really sounds like humanism. <laughs> But that's yeah. how I hear a lot of people when they hear that word mystery, they think it's a license to sin. And so they, they shy away from it. And so can you just, can you explain to our audience what you talk, let's, let's touch on, let's end on how you started. How can we embrace true mystery? Because yeah. we're so hell bent on fact as Americans, we're so hell bent on numbers and figures to make sure our life goes a certain way. Mystery is such a foreign concept and then it's being hijacked by certain other groups. So can you just, how can Zootown Church people embrace the mystery of Advent and the cross and beyond live in a state of mystery? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the one, the one who's laid in the, the feed trough is the one who writes on the stone tablets and, and, what he's doing on sign, I'm talking about sign, I'm talking about the giving of the law. Right, yeah. Um, I can sometimes assume that everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, so that is the same one, right? But instead of seeing the commandments as restrictive, what if we understand that they're the, they're the foundation of freedom? Um, which they certainly were for the people of, of, of Israel when they were paying attention. You know, in a world where no one is killing another human being, can you just imagine living in a world right now where everybody stopped killing each other? I mean, you would think you were in paradise if you could just cause that stop happening, you know? And we do all these real crime shows and so, 
you know, you, you ask yourself, why did they do that? Why, why did they think they had to take someone's life? Well, I mean, I think it's in the water. It's in the air that we breathe that, you know, if we kill someone, we'll make the world better. You know, you know, it's an insanity, you know, because there's only one who's been killed who also voluntarily gave himself who, who needs to die for the world to be made well we can join him in his death and become martyrs along with him and and, and rescue the world but nobody else needs to be killed imagine if um we lived in a world where um everyone was faithful you know um and no one sought to grasp what you know wasn't theirs that would be a very beautiful place you know because freedom is not getting whatever you want whenever you want it right you know that's not freedom that's bondage you're in bondage to the thing that you need or think you need you know that's a bondage it's not freedom true freedom is to exist as god intends us to exist you know um and and we, we you know the reason that you know people you know take on these kinds of ideas like you know they're experiencing freedom now instead of mystery is we made it about restriction and we made it about this taint of good and you know people that are good and people that are evil and us and them and and all this all of these kinds of competitive things um you know this person is righteous and that person is righteous when even Jesus says the people who are righteous are hidden they don't know that they're doing <laughs> what they're doing, you know for me but it's about beauty and a, true freedom is about a, a beautiful world and if everyone were keeping the commandments, which we can't do, that's why the human God comes. That's another reason the incarnation happened. Is a human comes to be the embodiment of the law, not its rejection, but its embodiment, and to show us, you know, both in hidden ways and both in manifested ways, that humility is, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, he walks on the water because he's humility, not because he's... You know, he's, um, he's, you know, he's just all, you know, he's like, he's powerful in the ways that we think of power. He's just so humble that he, that he, he, he can do it, you know, and and a lack of humility sinks us, you know, Um, none of us can do that because we just don't embody humility in that way or beauty in that way. But the commandments are, you know, the psalmist said when he says the commandments of the Lord are 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 true and the and it's like honey and like um and it tastes good and it's delights the eye and so forth and so on is is not because of this kind of let's check off the boxes and let's put these people over here and these people over here and we're yeah. gonna judge and we're gonna separate and we're gonna do all this and we're gonna do that. And we're doing the right things and you're doing the wrong things. But here is the path to freedom. Stop being envious. Stop being prideful. Stop being and 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 to recognize that it's a participation in his life that we're being given by our baptism, so that 
if I die and I'm risen with Jesus, when I'm tempted and when I want to break a commandment, I can pray, Lord, I am not able to, to resist the temptation, but you have. And in the moment of temptation, say, Lord, come and help me be the resistance to this that I'm not able to offer. We're given that. And so, and so not to judge the people that are saying these sorts of things on the internet about like I'm finding freedom and sleeping with whoever I want, or you know, I you know, freedom for me is is this or whatever it is. Yeah. Not something to, in the flesh. Something in the flesh. Yeah. Not not to judge that, but to just say, is that really wise? Does it really lead to a more beautiful world? Does it lead to genuine happiness? I saw a quote from Jim Carrey of all people this morning. He said, I, I wish that everybody could, could get everything they want and be everything they want to be to find out that that's not the answer. That's not it. Yeah. That's not it. And he's so, I love that man. He's so too. simple, you he's know. Seeking. Ways like that, but that's not freedom. To get everything you want to be all that you want to be is not isn't actually freedom. And if you could listen to some of these people, you would recognize somebody like that's a miracle that he discovers a wisdom like that because a lot of them end up dead from trying to medicate themselves because all the things that they have gotten are all the things that they've become. Don't give them life. Right. Well, thank you, good sir. I appreciate you. Good luck on your book, my friend. Hey, man, I need every prayer. I guess if you're going to write about a book about the vulnerability and humility of God, the only way to do that is to become vulnerable you know, and humble. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's I'm being facetious, but like. Because I don't, you know, I'm not terribly vulnerable at times, and I'm not very, very humble. But it's an experience of that to write about that, or to think that you. Why did I ever think that I should write a book like yeah. this? You know, and all of those battles. But I, I do think that, um, uh, you know, when I listen to you, and I, I hear a lot of other people, something of what I'm offering in all of this is helping someone. Absolutely. A little bit further down the road of viewing, um, seeing the mystery. And so I'm just going to keep at it and, 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 uh, let God use it in whatever ways he, he finds, uh, appropriate. Well, on your, if you ever have any doubts or on your darkest day or whatever, know there's people in Montana that you have helped and there's people in Montana. Montana is a state like Delaware, Right. Like I've never been to Delaware because you only go to Delaware if you need to get to Delaware. I mean, if <laughs> yeah. Montana is like I mean the Dakotas and Montana are like that too because um, even like you know parts of Wyoming and stuff. You know, if you're going to go there, you have to be going there to go there. Right. You so don't just pass we, through Montana. We were leaving in Los Angeles. We were living in Los Angeles for two decades after. I went to high school and college, got married. We had six of our seven kids there. And I was asked 
to become an editor at a magazine in Chicago. And um, I, um, I, I, so we moved our family there in 1999, 2000, summer 2000, we drove all of our, you know, earthly things to Chicago with our kids. And, you know, um, so we went, we decided things we'd never seen, we're going to go see. So we went up into Yosemite, we went through the Sierra Madre, we went um, north to, to the, to uh, the Grand Tetons and, mm. and, and into Yosemite and uh, then down into Casper, we went to a rodeo and stuff, but, but that Yellowstone, I mean, my God. And there, I know there are parts like I've only seen Yellowstone, but I haven't seen like that. You know, all you have to do is watch Yellowstone, right? To know <laughs> there's so much more to to Montana, even than that, and how big the sky is, and how beautiful everything is, and and so it, Montana is so much more than than Yosemite, than excuse me, than Yellowstone. But um, you know, that's the only time that because we 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 decide that's not the straight way to Chicago from LA. Yeah, yeah. We decided to do all these things and we went through the Badlands and and went to Mount Rushmore and whatever, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and on into Iowa to Chicago. So I've only been there once. And I think Brian said that maybe he hadn't been there either, except once or twice. Um, it's just not, you know, you know, this. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's 14 hours. Montana is so big. It takes 14 hours to drive across. Yeah. Uh, but if you like Yellowstone, we'll bring you out here to, to preach sometime and I'll take you to Glacier and then you will truly believe in the incarnation. He, Ryan <laughs> was stunned by Glacier National Park. He, yeah. Yeah, he was sending pictures and. He likes us this park. That's his favorite. I think that's his favorite, like natural yeah. place. But um, but uh, he he just thought he thought that Glacier National Park. And I have heard from people before tell me where are you guys closest to? What do you mean, Kalispell or Billings or where? where oh, we're where? close. We're we're on the western side, so we're an hour and a half from Kalispell. So yeah. we're two hours from Glacier. Okay. And yeah. that and how far is Yellowstone from there? Uh, Yellowstone's about five hours. Five, because because it's you're north then of yeah, yeah we're northwest. You have to go, have to go south mm-hmm. and yeah, west, but southeast to Bo- Bozeman, and then you go south uh, to Yellowstone to the Wyoming yeah. border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're, cl- you're you're up there by Kalispell. Yep. And how far is Canada from you then? Uh, we're probably. Th- Three and a half hours from yeah, Canada. Yeah. yeah. You're really in the middle of nowhere then. You know, there's a saying, because Missoula is such a different town, even for Montana. There's a, yeah. there's a shirt you can get that says Missoula, a place, sort of, because <laughs> we just don't fit anywhere. But yeah, I did a big loop with the Zons. I took them through Cal- or Kalispell Glacier and then around the Rocky Mountain front yeah. uh, where the Rocky Mountains start. And they were, they were pretty blown away by it. So. <laughs> He he said that. I mean, that was he made that very clear that he was really blown away by it all. I've lived I, here uh, my whole life, and I'm still blown away by it. So thank you for um, inviting me. Thank you for taking the time. Um, thank you. Bless you. I know how hard 
it is to go through something like you went through and to maintain to love, you know, and to continue to do what we do. Um, I've experienced those things in small ways here and there. And, um, you know, you, when, you know, you lose a family or use a group of families or whatever. So just, uh, you know, just keep pressing on, man. It gets, you know, it gets, uh, it, it sounds like it's getting better. And yes. we go through, we, we go through, it's just part of the life. And I'm sure Brian's the same. It's like, you know, it's, it's a fairly, it's, it's not a terribly rough, turbulent ride for me right now, but I, I know it, you know, it's, it, it's mm-hmm. like, this, you know. yeah. So, I always like to say that we, it didn't have to happen the way it happened, but it had to happen. Uh, yeah. Human sin caused major damage. However, I would, I'm glad we went through it because we feel resurrected. We just feel resurrected and right. our faith is real. It's not, yeah. It's real, that, so I'm, right. I'm glad we went through it. That has to happen. Because otherwise, you're if you're not ministering from the resurrection, then it's, you know, it's, yeah. uh, that's yeah. uh, so. the spirit. All right, the, my friend. The letter of the law kills. The spirit gives life. Amen. Well, good peace. luck on your book, and I'll send you a copy uh, of this so you can check it out. All, all the blessings and peace to you and your family. Merry Christmas and all that. All right? You as well. Thank you, Mr. Tanner. Take care.